You're listening to Broadview Church Sermon Audio. For more information or to donate to this ministry, go to broadviewchurch.ca. Well, it's uh, fascinating to see in nature. You look in the creeks and the ponds and you see these little fish-like creatures uh, and you watch them playfully swim around and if you didn't know better, you would think that they were little minnows that you would anticipate one day would grow up so that you could try to lure them to a hook one day. But then as you watch them over time, you see that something is happening to them. Until one day you see them hopping out and starting to croak. They have been transformed. They've been transformed into frogs. Or you see a caterpillar. You see a caterpillar crawling around and then one day it stops and starts wrapping itself in this stuff. And you think, well, that's kind of weird. And it just sits there and nothing happens. And you think, well, maybe they spun themselves a coffin or something. But then one day as you are watching, you see this thing come to life and it opens up and out comes a caterpillar. No, out comes a beautiful butterfly. It has been transformed, transformation. It's amazing to watch in nature where tadpoles are transformed into frogs and caterpillars transformed into butterflies. Well, this morning we want to look at transformation, a metamorphosis of a different kind. By the way, I have a confession to make this morning. I want to let you know that I love God. And I love his word, the scriptures, the Bible that we have. The Bible is our source. It is our source of strength. It's a source of encouragement, a source of challenge, a source of instruction. And it's a wealth of information on how to live. It's a wealth of information on how to live from the one who created this all and the one who keeps it going. A person can read a whole ton of self-help books, uh, but they don't hold a candle to the Bible. If we read the Bible to see what it really says and then when we do what it says. Now I believe that the Lord has been leading me to uh, begin a new series of teaching from the book of Romans, generally from the perspective of living in community. But we'll be starting in Romans chapter 12 as we consider living in this world community in which we live Uh, What are we being changed to become? Or what what are we are we are we being changed to become something? Are we having the world shape us or are we helping to shape the world around us? So if you have your Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to Romans chapter. We'll start actually reading in chapter eleven, verse thirty-three, and then move on to chapter twelve. But Romans is a fascinating book. And no, it's not a book about the Roman Empire. And it's not a book about Roman culture, although it is addressed in the book. And it's not about the Romans conquering the world. But we believe that it was the Apostle Paul that wrote this book to the church in Rome. And the book of Romans essentially has two sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 11. And I believe a key verse in this section is chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so then Paul goes on to talk uh, considerably about the grace and mercy of God. Grace that is so much greater than any of our sin. In the first 11 chapters, Paul teaches what we call doctrine. But in the Bible, doctrine is never taught just for us to know what it is, but it is for us to do something about it, to put it into practice. In Romans, uh, Paul first teaches this doctrine through those 11 chapters. Then in chapter 12, begins to teach how that doctrine then applies to each of us as we live it out in our lives and in our world. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, those are the verses we want to look at particularly this morning. Those are a key in this transition. So I want to read from Romans chapter 12, beginning, or ch- beginning to read from chapter 11, verse 33, which leads into chapter 12. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in these last couple of verses, uh, we are told three things. We are told what, how, and why. These are three of, if you're familiar with Rudyard Kipling's Six Faithful Men, you may have heard of this, where he wrote and he says, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. So we're going to look at three of those this morning. What are we to do? How are we to do it? And then why should we do it? Of course, the first question we ask then is what are we told here to do in verse 1? He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So first of all, we are instructed here that we are to offer our bodies to God as living sacrifices. So as we think about sacrifice, I thought, so what, what does it mean to sacrifice? And, and I went to the old-fashioned dictionary of Webster uh, before Wikipedia came along. And, uh, and Webster says, uh, it, it talks about offering of something precious to deity, but also giving something of mine for someone else. Something that might be mine that I'm giving for the sake of someone else. It may be something I have. It may be my rights or whatever that I give up for the sake of someone else. So we have this where we talk about sacrificing for someone else. Uh, we are right now in, in a time when, when the sporting world is enjoying the conclusion of a season called baseball. And so we have baseball play, playoffs. And, and in baseball, if you are on a team that's up to bat and you have a base runner that's on first base and there's nobody out, 
you get up to plate and you hit the ball way into the outfield, hopefully, but then the guy catches it and you're out. But your base runner gets to tag up and run to second base. They call that a a sacrifice fly. And that is because you just gave up your right. By the way, I didn't prompt him to say that. Uh, You gave up your right to get safely to first base for the sake of advancing a base runner. So that's why they call it a sacrifice. You gave up something that might be rightfully yours for the sake of, of others and for the team. We talk about sacrificing oneself. Somebody is sacrificing themselves, whether it's in sport, where they, they just, just give above and beyond so that they will help the rest of the team and so on. We give of ourselves for the sake of others. In the Old Testament, when they gave a sacrifice, they sacrificed their best animal that they would have or the first of the grain that would come. They would give that as an offering. That would be their sacrifice. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ became our ultimate sacrifice because Jesus Christ paid the ultimate and final price for sin. Animal sacrifices were no longer necessary because of what Jesus Christ has done. Sacrifice now was life and not simply a ritual. Life is now the true sacrifice of the people of God. And so it says that God wants a living sacrifice. He wants us to give a living sacrifice. But even back in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, it says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so he wants a living sacrifice as we live our lives. But, but Paul says here that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so why does he talk about offering our bodies as a, as a living sacrifice? I believe it was because Paul was reacting to, to the Greek philosophy of his day where they separated the body from the soul or spirit. And where they identified that the two really had nothing to do with each other, the body which was evil just housed the spirit which was pure and good. And so because your spirit was pure and good, it didn't matter what your body did. And so that's how they justified sinful behavior because the body just did what the body did, but your soul was pure and so it didn't matter. They separated those two things. But the reality is that we are one as our body, soul, and spirit, and mind. It's, it's one as we act in this together. And I wonder sometimes in our world today if we also separate it to where what we do is detached from what we believe. We are to be holy sacrifices. Again, Webster defines holy as spiritually pure or commanding absolute devotion. But the word here in the original is is where we get our word sanctified from, to be set apart. We, We look at it as being led by the Spirit rather than simply an outward form or expression of worship that it may look like, or really to become and to be like Christ, to be who God wants us to be and do what he wants us to do. 
To be holy is not just to be set apart like a hermit somewhere, living off by ourselves, secluded from the rest of society so that nothing can touch us. That's not what it means to be holy. You and I are holy when we have been cleansed from sin through repentance and forgiveness by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then as we have received that forgiveness, to walk in that and live according to his instruction and his desire for us. Being holy then means to do what Jesus Christ desires for us to do. As followers of Jesus, we are to give ourselves completely and to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God and to follow his instructions. The next question then is, how do we do that? How, are, how do we do that? And the answer here is that our lives are to be transformed. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world or to the pattern of this age. So what's the pattern of this world that we live in? And it doesn't take very long these days to, to be able to identify the pattern of this world. It's pretty clear that it really boils down to the quest for power, for wealth, or for pleasure. And as we think of those, it, it reminds me of, of, the, of the old game Careers. Anybody have ever played the game Careers? Oh, there's a handful of you that know what I'm talking about. Uh, the game Careers, where at the beginning of the game you have this thing and you have to, it's, it's based on, on money or fame or happiness. And those correlate pretty well with the power, wealth, and pleasure. And you have to identify which of those are going to be your priority and then your quest is to actually attain what you thought was going to be your formula of success. But as we look at the world around us in which we live, when we find ourselves wrestling with this in this world, in our humanness, we find that at the center of, of, of the pattern of this world has to do with selfishness. It's about self. And, and, and we see that demonstrated, augmented, as we see social media. Because it's about self. It's about taking, you know, we used to take pictures of nature, and now we take pictures of what? My face has to be in that nature so that people see the selfie, right? Uh, and, and so we have these things where, where it's, it's, that's the whole thing. It's selfie, selfish, self, whatever. That's really what our world seems to be all about. It, it's about self, selfishness, trying to do things that, that I want. I don't care what is best for the people around me. I just, this is what I want, and this is what's selfish. Or there is hate. In our world, we hear that word all the time of, of a hate and anti-hate and, and all that stuff. The thing is that we're not getting rid of hate. We're just redirecting it. We're just putting our, our hate in different directions. Really, that's what's happening because that's part of the pattern of this world in which we live. Or there's this whole thing about getting revenge. If somebody's done something to me, the, the point that I need to do and that we do as a country or whatever is we make sure we get revenge and then it always escalates. Or the pattern of this world has to do with lust. I mean, when you, when you, when you see how the absolute horrific proliferation of pornography on the internet, it, it is so obvious this is one of those huge patterns of this world in which we live. Or abuse. 
Abuse in various forms where we abuse those that are helpless or that we have control over. And we see that again over and over as a pattern of this world in which we live. Or greed. So we see the pattern of this world. But then when we look at what is God's pattern? What is the pattern that is different? What is God's pattern? If we're not supposed to conform to the pattern of this world, what is the pattern that we are following then? And I believe it is really, really a a core passage where it talks about that, is where it talks about when the Holy Spirit of God fills you, you will demonstrate that as the fruit of the Spirit. Where God's pattern then is love, joy, peace. You can say it with me if you know them. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't that a contrast? A complete contrast to the pattern of this world? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Talk about a different way of living life than what is the pattern of this world. Or as Jesus talks about it, it's captured into the basic idea that we love God and we love those around us. That we love and we serve. Matthew 22, verses 37 and following. Jesus uh, was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. So our purpose in life, and as we, as we pursue following Jesus, as our lives are being transformed, is, is where we should not be primarily seeking for power, wealth, and pleasure, but to seek and express and demonstrate our love for God and for those around us. We're not to conform, but to be transformed. To be transformed here talks about literally to change form. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from. As a caterpillar metamorphoses into a butterfly. As it changes, it changes form. As Vine talks about, it means to undergo a complete change which under the power of God will find expression in character and conduct. We are to have a complete change in our character and our behavior from living primarily for power, wealth, and pleasure to living in love for God and for those around us. Control changes from the world controlling us to where God controls us. So how does this transformation happen? How are we transformed? Well, it says here we are transformed by renewing our minds. It says renewing. It doesn't say just refreshing. But for our minds to be renewed. So I have have a little formula that, that I picked up somewhere over the years. And it's a simple formula of A plus B equals C. Now, if you can remember A plus B equals C, uh, there may be other variations of this, but here, in fact, the A represents an activating event, something that, that, that happens that's the activating event, plus our belief, what we believe. What happens comes to what we believe, and then we result in the consequence. Everything that we do, 
We do as a result of what we believe, of what we really believe. The consequence will demonstrate what we really believe. So let's say something happens where where you're somewhere and suddenly you notice a rock is flying at your head. What you really believe will determine what you will do. If you think this is going to really, really hurt, what are you going to do? Oh, no, it's not that hard. You duck. Because you know, you know, you really believe that this rock, it's going to really, really hurt, and so you duck. You, you, you believe it so instinctively, you, you, just, you just react, because that's what you really believe. Everything we do comes as a result of what we believe or what we think. What we really think, not what we wished we thought, or what we know we probably should think, but we really don't. When you're driving your car, what you believe, what you really believe, will determine how you drive. If you are driving along the highway, and you see there's a sign that says maximum 100, what you really believe will determine how fast you drive. If you think that, that, you know what, I actually know better than the people that put the sign up, And if you believe that you can drive safely better than most people, and you believe the weather conditions are fine, then you're going to, and if you believe that I'm not going to get caught anyways, and if I do, I can get work, talk my way out of it. If that's what you believe, what are you probably going to do? Probably drive a little faster. But if you don't believe those things, then suddenly you say, well, those people actually know what they're talking about, and it actually probably is, even though I might think I know better, but it would be safer if I drove below that, etc., etc., then you will probably drive no faster. If you drive by here during the week, and you drive what you normally would do on the weekend when you come past here with the school signs and there's kids along the road, and you believe that, that you know what, those people don't know what they're talking about, that we should only drive 30. It changes how you act and how we drive. It changes in various things when we have, when we have habits that are bad habits in our lives. What we really believe will determine how we respond to those habits or when temptations come along. When we see a temptation come along, what we really believe about that temptation, about what it's tempting us to do, will determine whether we will yield to it or not. If we believe that it's not a big deal to do it anyways, then we might do it. But if we think it is a big deal, if we really believe it, then we will probably stop. What we believe determines how we act. How do we then renew our minds? How do we change what we really believe? We determine our thinking by what we allow to enter and percolate through our minds. What we allow our minds to practice, and our minds do practice, because we do think about things over and over and over again. Sometimes we do this through visualization. We, we, we imagine this or we fantasize that, and so we process that in our minds Sometimes we do this thing, what we call worry. Worry is really rehearsing failure in our minds. 
We're actually practicing it in our minds as we go over it and over it in our minds. What we mull on, what we allow our minds to process over and over again, that is what will determine what we truly will believe. That's why it's so important that we monitor what we allow our minds to think about, what we allow our minds to process over and over, and even sometimes whether we allow it to come into our minds, whether we're conscious that we're processing it or not. One of those things is music. We listen to music. And, and, uh, and, and how many of you that have lived a few decades can remember songs that you heard on the radio when you were a teenager? I mean, I, I will all of a sudden hear a song come on, and I'm singing the words to this thing. I'm singing them before they come along, and I haven't heard this song in 40 years. It's amazing how that's come into your mind, and in your mind you've been going over and over it in your mind. And as we do that, our minds begin to respond to that and think that this is actually true, whether we want to admit it or not. It begins to shape us and mold us. When we watch TV and watch those shows on TV, we're watching these things that over and over, and eventually it begins to affect to what we believe is true and what is real. As we allow that to go through our minds, our minds begin to shift and change and what we accept to be true and what we accept to be how we should normally live life. That is why there is such a battle for control of information on the internet these days. Because of what we see and what we believe eventually. It's not only watching and reading but it is the contemplating, the imagining, the mental rehearsal that we have in our minds. So to renew our minds, we then have to change what we meditate on. We have to change what we allow to be the thing that we go over and over and over and over in our minds, whether it's something that we see over and over again or that we allow ourselves to worry in our minds. When, again, in, in the visualization, I, I remember uh, so many years playing hockey. When I would be anywhere and just, just have some spare moments in my mind, I would be processing what would happen if. If somebody, and I played mostly defense, and in my mind I would visualize somebody coming down the, 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 the ice, and if they did this, this is what I would do, and if they do that, that's what I would do. And I would go over it and over it and over it in my mind, hopefully that when I would play, that I actually would react automatically. That's part of that processing. And sometimes we do that when we have somebody that makes us angry. We begin to, to process, what if this and what if they do that? And, and I know I found myself, even th- there's been times I look back to when I would go on a hike in order to just kind of enjoy the outdoors, and I'd find myself that I would be thinking about a certain situation, about whatever, and my mind's thinking through all the what-ifs, and I find myself getting angrier and angrier and angrier, and finally you find yourself just in, in a big stew about this whole thing, because I've been practicing. Why? What we mull over in our minds is so important. What consumes our thinking? It shapes us. It changes us. The third question here is why. Why should we allow ourselves to be transformed? The reasons why we should offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Why we should be transformed, he says, because 
of God's mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in light of God's mercy, God created us as mankind to walk with him, to walk in fellowship with him. He put Adam and Eve in the garden and they would walk together and they would have fellowship together. And God gave them, God gave them only one rule that they were to, that one thing they were not to do. And what did they end up doing? Exactly that thing. And turn against what God had instructed. So sin entered into mankind. And so because of that sin, we were now without hope. We needed to have a sacrifice. The first children, they knew that. Cain and Abel. They came and and they brought an offering of sacrifice before God. One brought an animal to offer, recognizing that this was something that they needed to do to somehow atone for, appease for, something for sin. The beginning, a recognition from the very first family that there needed to be something as a consequence of our sin. And so when we find the sacrifices that the Israelites were to give, as as there were very detailed instructions as to what they were supposed to bring, what animal and how it was supposed to be sacrificed, and so on and so on. Very great detail. But that wasn't sufficient. Because it still did not atone for our sin. It did not pay for our sin. And so God himself recognized that we as mankind could not help ourselves. And so God came as Jesus Christ to this earth to become the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. What we celebrate at communion as we did last week. To where we take of the bread and and eat it to remember Christ allowing his body to be broken. We drink of the cup to remember Jesus Christ shed his blood so that we can have forgiveness. So that we can be rescued because of God's mercy. God was merciful. He didn't say to us, you decided to go against me too bad. You're going to suffer the consequences. He said, no, I'm going to suffer the consequences. Because of his mercy, we can be returned to fellowship with God. I'm told that there are like three and a quarter billion people in this world that are considered unreached, that do not have an opportunity of hearing of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Never mind the millions of people that are part of the people groups that are considered to be reached people. Besides those people in our country who've never heard of the grace and mercy of Jesus. All those people have never heard, but you and I have had the opportunity to hear and to respond and experience the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Aren't we a privileged people? So in light of his mercy, in light of what he's done and the fact that we have been able to experience that mercy, he says, you have experienced so in light of that, offer yourselves. Let yourselves be transformed and be shaped and become who he wants you to be. Because of God's divine mercy, we ought to respond to God and give our lives to him and respond to him. Secondly, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifice because he says here it is our logical service of worship. It is your spiritual act of worship, as the NIV puts it. Or it is your logical divine worship or service of worship. Some definitions of worship, and partially it means to honor and revere as a divine being, but it also means to serve. 
to serve. Not just coming to church, and this morning I have to confess that I I thoroughly enjoyed the experience, I valued the experience here together of worshiping God as we together lifted up our hearts and voices and soul before the Lord. That is part of worship. But worship is more than that. To where we serve and we give of ourselves back to God. To offer our bodies as living sacrifices as our logical response of worship. Worship is more than verbally expressing, but it is an action expressing our love for God and our love for others in the world around us. It's as the old hymn says from Jesus' perspective, I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning, and we are oh so grateful for your mercy in our lives. That in spite of being born as sinners, in spite of so naturally in our human nature and over and over turning against you and living as we think we know better, as we so easily conform to the pattern of this world of of where we see that hatred, where we see that selfishness, we see all those things in our, in our world around us that we are tempted to and often respond the exact same way. But Lord, you didn't just say, well, if that's how you want it, that's how you can have it. But you offered yourself to us where you allowed your blood to be shed so that we can have forgiveness and hope and a future. Thank you for your mercy. Oh, we don't deserve it. But oh, thank you. Thank you. And Lord, even in our, in our receiving that mercy, so often we still go our own way. Lord, this morning we confess that to you and ask that you would forgive us. That you would cleanse us. That you would make us holy and whole. And Lord, as we, as we go from here, we ask your Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us and move within us so that as we go from here, as we, 
interact with people around us, as we interact with your people, as we interact with those people that you long to become your people, where you put us in a world that desperately needs you, Lord, we desire, we commit ourselves to offering ourselves as living sacrifices that the world may know. And Lord, may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.